Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job, by investing, by having freelancing, by having side hustles, doing entrepreneur stuff, all that great stuff. And today, we're going to be talking all about how you can write a book. Basically, become an author and make money doing it and eventually be able to quit your just overbroke job. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We've already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey guys, I have a real treat for you today where we're going to be learning how we can actually create best-selling books and make money doing it. See, now I've actually written three books myself. If you think about it, it's really not that difficult to actually write a book. If you can explain literally anything, like what's your favorite hobby you have ever done, you probably can explain it better than just about anybody else, or at least you have a way to share it that some people would like more so than others. Give you an example, I invest in real estate and I write books about real estate. How many books are out there on real estate? Like literally thousands or more. And I wrote my own book and people buy it and they enjoy it because of the way I talk. And I know you absolutely have your own voice. I know you have your own experiences, God-given talents, all that sort of stuff that you can put into a book that people would absolutely love. And I want you to write a book, but also invest in real estate. If you want to start investing in real estate, get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. And I will give you my real estate investing course, showing you how to find an area of the country to invest, how to buy the right property, how to make money every single month, $250 or more, make it an automatic business, create it to actually could be a six-figure automatic business and scale the business. Text the word rental to 33777. And I am excited to bring on a fantastic best-selling author. His name is Jeff Goins. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. Happy to be here, Dustin. Thanks for having me. Awesome, Jeff. So let's talk about how you make money to provide for yourself and your family without having that J-O-B, that just overbroke job. So I write books, I speak, and I teach online courses and programs for writers and creative entrepreneurs. Uh, in a sentence, I help creative people succeed, and I do that by doing that through my own work. Here's how I'm making a living off of my writing and creative work. And then I teach other people how to do the same thing. So did you first start with, with one book? Is that how you got started? Did you start with something else? I started with a $2.99 ebook, a PDF that I sold in a weekend after taking a survey of my small but growing online audience. And I uh, sold about 500 of them in a week. I made about $1,500 off of this $3 ebook. And that was the equivalent of a paycheck for me. You know, I made about $30,000 that year working for a nonprofit. And that was in 2012, the same year that our first child was born. And that changed everything for me. So it started with a book. Yeah. So you saw the huge potential 
of doing something one time with a passive income and getting paid over and over again. I mean, it seems like that sounds like a fantastic way to make money as opposed to working one hour and getting paid for that hour. So you said you were working for a nonprofit. Talk to us a little bit about, mm. you know, just showing us you're a normal person, just like everybody else that is listening to this and that it is possible for normal people to become extraordinary, not working a job to provide for their family. So what were you doing beforehand and how did, what led up to the steps where you actually made the leap? Well, Dustin, I think everybody's normal until you get to know them. Uh, for me, I, uh, I was working for a nonprofit organization. I was a, a marketing director, which was kind of a job that I fell into. Uh, before that I toured the country with a band uh, and I was a Spanish major, you know, so I've had all these like random disparate experiences. And then I got my first job working at a nonprofit. I was hired as a copywriter and then eventually became a marketing manager and then the director of marketing uh, for that organization. And I was helping other people share their stories. We did uh, international service projects and um I was telling other people's stories and I was using storytelling to get other people to volunteer for our trips or to raise money for the organization. And I felt like I had a story to tell. I felt like I had ideas that I wanted to share. And I took everything that I'd learned about online marketing through this job and I started applying it to uh, my own experiences, my own ideas that I wanted to share. So I started a blog and it very quickly grew and I heard you could make money off of a blog. So as I mentioned before, I started selling eBooks and then eventually turned into an online course, events, masterminds, and so on. That's fantastic. Now, I, I, I did have to ask, what in the world would you do with a Spanish major? Like, like how does that apply to making money? I mean, is that something where you teach it or something else? Well, so you're assuming that people go to college to, to make money. And I think most people don't, I certainly didn't go in with the intention, how am I going to make money? I thought, well, you know, you go to college, you, you get a major in something and then you get a job afterwards. Right. Uh, and I've seen plenty of people, including my siblings who are younger than me kind of go through that same experience of thinking, well, I have a college degree now, therefore the world owes me a good job and been di disappointed uh, as a result of that. Yeah, so I didn't, I, I, I studied Spanish and religion, and I studied uh, religion because I was interested in it, I studied Spanish because I wanted to study abroad in Spain. Uh, and I thought maybe I'll be a missionary, right? And, and, and live overseas in a Spanish-speaking country and, and do that. And I ended up working for a, a nonprofit mission organization, so that, you know, kind of worked. I would go overseas about some um, once a year to a Spanish-speaking country for like a week on a mission trip and use my my Spanish then. But I, I did it because I thought it would be fun, which is the reason that I do most things in life. So is it fun to to create something and then be basically be an artist and create by writing and doing a blog? Is that something that's really enjoyable to you? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, my whole life I was told you can't do this and make money can't write and make money. You can't, uh, you know, I've been a creative person uh, for all of my life, whether that was acting, I mentioned I was in a band, writing songs, writing, writing poems. Uh, I used to draw Gar Garfield uh, comics. I used to make my own comic books in middle school. I've always loved making things and sharing them with people. I just never knew that you could do that and actually make a living. And so it was quite a surprise when I found out I was able to do that with writing. Yeah, that does sound like a surprise. Now, that first book that you that you wrote, did you self-publish or did you get somebody to or a company to publish it with you? 
So it was self-published. It wasn't even a book. You know, it was like a 10,000 word document that I published as a PDF and sold on eJunkie, which was this, you know, super cheap e-commerce website. Uh, and then I, I made about uh, a few thousand dollars off of that. I was sort of embarrassed by it. So I took it down and then I republished it a few months later as like a full length book called You Are a Writer. So start acting like one. And it was my story of wanting to become a writer and then becoming a writer and kind of what I'd learned along the way about uh, building an audience, building a platform, finding your voice, getting noticed and eventually getting paid to uh, write. And so I self-published that book uh, and that sold over 10,000 copies in about six months. And at the end of that book, I included an email address. People started emailing me, asking me to teach them the things that I had talked about in the book. And, uh, and so then I launched my first online course uh, because of that ebook. And then a few months after that, I launched a traditionally published book and I've been uh, writing books and teaching online courses ever since. That's fantastic. So walk us through the process. If we wanted to say, say not just be a creator, but if we want to be specifically a writer and we wanted to either write for books or be a freelance writer, but how do we utilize a creative skill if we don't even have, I, I know I'm not creative at all. I, I can absolutely attest to me not being creative, even though I'm not creative. I've already written four books and self-publish out each one of those. It was fun doing that, but I'm not creative. It was such a struggle. How do we do it if we're not creative? I mean, I think everyone's creative in the sense that we're making things all day long. You know, the act of making a podcast is creative uh, by definition. You're creating something, therefore it requires creative energy to do it. When people say I'm not creative, which is another discussion probably, what they mean is I'm not artistic like I understand typical artists to be. Uh, but you know, you have children, you created life, right? That's a creative act. So uh, life actually itself is creative, right? It's, it's a necessary process of, of growth of making things, things kind of falling apart and, and making new things that is the creative journey. So I think step one is to actually recognize, um, Every, everything that we make and do in some respect has never been done before. Therefore, it is creative. It actually is. Um, and at the same time, how I'm creative isn't the way that you're creative. And it's not the way that Pablo Picasso was creative or, um, you know, any number of other great artists, musicians, whatever. Uh, so I think you begin by understanding that um, in order to uh, live a good life, you have to make things. You have to be creative in, in some respect. And um, there has never been a better time to harness your natural creativity and share it with the world um, because we have an opportunity to connect directly with the audience that needs our work, right? So uh, I think if you work for yourself, you're successfully unemployed, you've got some sort of um, uh, business that you're running, even if you don't think of it as a business, you're an entrepreneur, you created a business, that's a very creative act. And, and so whether you think of yourself as an entrepreneur, an artist, a musician, you have a guitar hanging behind you, don't tell me that you're not creative. <laughs> um, whatever it is that you do, the things that you make, it is easier than ever to find and connect directly with the people who need those things. And so I would say, uh, the first thing that you have to do is recognize your creativity. The second thing that you have to do is figure out what it is you want to make. And then the third thing is who is this for and how do I connect with them? And the internet is a 
uh, wonderfully efficient and affordable way to find the people who need your work, whether that's through a podcast, a blog, an article on Medium, Instagram, what have you. You know, when we talk about building an audience or a platform, that's really just misunderstanding the basic idea that if you want to make something and make money off of it, you've got to go find people who need that thing. And, and so figure out what you want to make and then find out who it's for. And, and we can go into that if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. So if, and I, I completely agree with you in that, that we are all creating, I would say the reason why I am not creative is I'm much better at finding what somebody else is doing and seeing, Hey, I like that. I could copy that. I could basically do mm -hmm. what that person is doing, which is really gives me a leg up because if I have to sit down and actually be creative, like come up with something brand new, that's real. Like I can do it, but my brain works a hundred times fast or uh, uh, longer right. takes that much longer than somebody mm -hmm. else who's actually creative. So if we wanted to, yeah. let's say write a book, like that's the number one thing we want to do. We've always aspired to writing a book. It's just something we want to do. Where do we start? Do we start with like, Hey, let's, let's pick a title or do we find a topic or do we want to mm -hmm. even understand how to write a book or should we just start writing? What do we do to get started? Well, I would say, first of all, what you talked about, you know, I think of as iteration, it's creative iteration. It's taking somebody's idea, it's copying it and somehow making it better or adding your own style to it. And you're in good company because uh, the world's greatest artists were not original. They took somebody else's idea and, and they did it better or they did it differently, right? And, and lots of great examples of that from uh, Walt Disney to Michelangelo to um, Twyla Tharp, one of the world's greatest, uh, choreographers. So all great creation is in some ways recreation. It's, it's taking something old and creating your own mixtape version of it. Um, and so, you know, nothing is new under the sun. So same with writing, right? So I think, um, if you want to write, uh, first of all, you have to, in the words of Stephen King, if you want to be a writer, you have to read a lot and write a lot. That is the best, um, study that you can do on the craft of writing is absorb a lot of good writing and then and then write and often people set up to be original and that's really like the worst way to 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 do it is is to try to be original same thing with with a business right you wouldn't go oh this is a completely original business and i have no idea if anybody out there has has ever tried to do this before that's a terrible strategy. What you should try to do is pay attention to what's working in the market, see what people have already done and find a way to do something better or to do it differently. And, and writing is similar in that you should pay attention to the kind of books that you like to read and you should see, uh, observe what did it, what do these writers and authors do that you like? Do you like short books? Do you like long books? Do you like stories? Do you like principles? There's all kinds of different uh, books and authors in the world to so find out what you like and actually start copying them. Uh, now, this is how the creative process starts. It's, it's not how it ends, but you begin. We all begin as thieves. Uh, you know, there is that great quote that's been attributed to everybody from T.S. Eliot to uh, Pablo Picasso, which is uh, good artists copy, great artists steal. And so learning how to steal like an artist is a great way to find your style, to find your voice. So I would read a lot of books, pay attention to the books that you like. Uh, and maybe a lot for you is like two or 200. But if you want to be a better writer, uh, pay attention to the kind of writing that you like. See what these books and writers have in common and mimic some of it right? Like you would if you were going into the dojo of a martial artist, you would begin to learn the fundamental moves first before you ever dared to figure out your style uh, or voice. Uh, and so 
read a lot, write a lot. Uh, I wouldn't advise writing a book. I would advise writing an article, right? Writing a blog post, start small, write an Instagram caption, begin learning how you want to communicate your ideas. And then if you have an idea that's so book, so big, the smallest way that it can be contained is with a book, then you should go write a book. But I actually believe not everyone should write a book. You know, last we were saying, oh, you should go write a book. Um, it should, you know, it'll build your platform. It'll give you authority. It's a great business card. And yes, those things are true. However, no reader wants to pick up a book and go, this is a business card, right? That, that makes for often not a very good book. And I know it's something common that people say, but you know what makes for a better business card than a book? A business card, you know, an actual business card. If Like what is a business card? It's who I am. It's what I do. And if I write a book about that, why does that interest you? No, a book should be about who you are and what you do and what you need and what problem I can solve or what story I can tell that will engage you and, and interest you and, you know, draw you in. And I, I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to books. I really care about good books and I don't think we need more bad books in the world. Now that said, if you have such a big idea that you've written the article, you've written the tweet, you've written a blog post series, you've put it on a podcast and there's still more to say and there's interest from an audience or you have to say this all together in, in a, and contain it in an actual book where people are gonna get the whole idea, the whole story, then you need to uh, write a book and the there's a whole process to that. But I think all good books begin with big ideas. And the best way to write a bad book is to start with a good idea. Uh, the best way to write a bad book is to start with a good idea. Good ideas don't make uh, for good books. What make for good books are interesting ideas. And so uh, what you want to know is who has talked about this before? What books are there out there already on this topic? And there should be some, otherwise, um, you shouldn't write the book because there's probably no interest in it. But if what you want to say has already been said, then there's no reason to say it. And so what you want to do is find out what has been said about this topic and what new thing can I add to this domain, right? How could I take something that somebody else has done, just like we talked about before, and in some way do it better, right? And so uh, this is, you know, in marketing, it's called same but different, right? It's like this, but different uh, like that. So that's why you read a lot of books. So you can be aware of the kinds of books in your industry. And then um, you want to say something uh, different. And I think an interesting idea begins with the phrase, everybody thinks X, but what's actually true is Y. In all great perennial best-selling books have that in common. They all have a big idea. Fiction, nonfiction, memoir, business, self-help, how-to, advice, they all have some big idea undergirding it that changed the way people thought about that particular genre, category, or idea. And then from there, you know, you structure the book, you outline the book, you do all the boring stuff that people talk about. But I would implore the listener, the watcher, the person, you know, the audience member in you to think very carefully about the first book or the next book that you want to write and ask yourself the question, what new thing do I have to say here? What's been said before? And, and am I going to disagree or agree with that or add to it in some way because we don't pay attention to people because their ideas are good or even because their ideas are true. We pay attention to people because their ideas are interesting. They're counterintuitive. They're surprising. They take something that we take for granted and they attack it. They subvert it and change the way we think about that thing. If it's not going to change the way people think in some way, then why write the book? So if you're going to write something that is, um, there, there are a lot of books that come out that are just 
general. Somebody just wants to put out a book, like you said, it's a business card. Right. Um, and yeah. as I've read those, I'm like, man, this is, and you'll see these in Amazon a lot. If you're seeing a book and the reviews will have a one star and it says, this is just a, not necessarily, they wouldn't use the word business card, but they'll say, this guy's writing this book to get us to buy his courses. Like that's all this book is for right. is to do that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that's something that I I find like if I'm a writer or as I'm as a writer, I'm like, man, I don't want like I want it to be standalone and want to not of be course. like you know, like be salesy and gimmicky to get to something else. You want somebody to right. really say, hey, you know what? I like Jeff. I like the how he says it, like what he says. I want to know more rather than him saying, you go find more here, sure. pay me to do this. No, mm -hmm. their curiosity mm -hmm. is going to be sparked because man, this guy, he mm -hmm. writes really well. So once we have mm -hmm. a, we started writing, we're, and I love the idea of just, you need to be reading and writing. And there, mm -hmm. there's the boring stuff of outlining and there's the boring stuff of actually mm -hmm. putting it together. But what do you talk to us about? Cause the outlining doesn't seem like it's that hard unless it is like, is there something, a formula? Is there something that we really should look at when we're designing, not designing like color wise and, and looks, but like the flow of the book and what we should say. Right. So, you know, there's that whole concept that, um, all models are wrong and all models are useful, right? So all formulas and frameworks for how to write a book are wrong and they're useful in that they help us get into the flow of figuring out what this thing is going to be. And so I think that there are two basic structures of a book. There is the modular structure, which is basically treating each uh, chapter of the book as almost an independent piece of a larger whole. And there's some thread weaving everything through, but they're standalone articles, essentially. Right. And so every book that Tim Ferriss writes is basically this kind of book. You could read chapter four without reading chapter three in the four hour work week and get the gist of it. They're intentionally written that way. In fact, a college professor, writing professor told Ferriss, um, write when you write a book, treat each chapter of the book as an article, as a standalone article. Now, that's very different from, say, uh, a novel or even a book like The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. That's called a narrative arc format. So there's two formats, one modular, basically each chapter you can read as a standalone entity and get 80 to 90% of the author's intent out of it. A narrative arc format doesn't work that way, right? So a narrative arc format reads like a novel. It feels like a story and it can be a nonfiction book like The Tipping Point, or it can be a book like The Alchemist or The Great Gatsby or what have you. This is a book where if you jump in the middle of it, it would be like walking into a movie 20 minutes after it started. It won't make sense. So each piece builds on the last one and then there's some final big payoff, right? So when Malcolm Gladwell writes outliers, he does this. He's notorious for doing this. He loves reading spy novels, loves reading detective stories, and he structures his nonfiction business, self-help, personal development books like spy novels. They're suspenseful. They're interesting. And so he's using that kind of narrative structure, but he's using, he's using ideas uh, as sort of the characters, if you will. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you get to the end of yeah. If you get to the end of Outliers, you realize, oh, this book is, and people miss this, this book is not about the 10,000 hour rule. It's essentially a book about privilege, about opportunity. And without that opportunity, all these masters wouldn't have gotten their 10,000 hours. So two different structures, and you have to figure out which structure serves the idea in the audience best. People will often ask me, well, which structure will help me sell more books? Which one's the best one? You know, And there's not a best one. It's just whatever's most appropriate for that book and that audience. I can't imagine a book like, you know, um, uh, uh, 
um, the tipping point reading like uh, Steal Like an Artist, for example, two very different formats. Uh, and so you just have to pick the format that works best for you. So you start with the big idea and then you go, what kind of structure do I want? And then when you outline it, uh, the the best way to think about outlining is a series of questions, right? So if I'm going to take a book like um, Outliers, which is essentially the question is how do people succeed, right? The subtitles of that book is the story of success. Uh, how do people succeed? Um, well, uh, they 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 must have two things: opportunity um, and practice, right? Uh, so, okay, well, well, let's, let's break the book up into two parts, opportunity and practice. Well, what kinds of opportunities will have to be born in the right place at the right time? Uh, you know, they've got to be exposed to this, 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 and this, uh, and what kind of practice? Well, this kind of practice, and they have to know the right people and there has to be a network and a community. And, and so as we're answering these questions, we're generating new questions and each question is essentially a chapter. That's the easiest way to explain it. I mean, obviously there's lots of different ways to do this, uh, but I think of a book, especially a nonfiction book, as an answer to a question. And every chapter is an answer to a smaller question underneath that larger question. Yeah. And and then once you're done answering all the questions, the book is done. <laughs> that, that makes a ton of sense because as I've written books in the past, usually I, I find that there's an outcome that I would like to see that my reader get to. And they're right. going to have questions every single step of the way. You're like, what about this? And then right. what about this? And That's if right. you can perceive those beforehand and answer those, you're mm -hmm. going to help the reader to actually really understand your content. I, I love also what you talked about with um, the difference between Tim Ferriss and Malcolm Gladwell. I absolutely see the difference in the writing styles because going through um, Outliers, he, he leads you and you're like, wait, you just stopped. Like, finish out that that like sentence or that, right. that thought because it's a cliffhanger it's a cliffhanger yeah. it makes you want to read more but yeah. tim ferris his right. style is totally different but what i found so yep. i guess my style is less uh it's, it's not as hard as like a malcolm gladwell you have to do you have to be very creative meaning like you have to plan things out a lot yep. more i just want to say it yep. and so That's right. i like following um tim ferris's model but here's the one thing that i also did so tell me wh what you think about this so as I was writing my very first book, it was it was just an ebook, just kind of like you. I let me just put out an ebook about how to invest in rental properties, and I started writing the book, and it just got longer and longer. I was like, "This is not an ebook," and it just kept getting longer and longer. Once I got done, it was basically like do X, Y, and Z. It was very just just academic, very straightforward. And then um, mm -hmm. people were reading it; they liked it. And then I realized what type of books I like to read, and I was like. I like Rich Dad Poor Dad because there's a lot of stories that help me to understand what what the outcome is. Um, Richest Man in Babylon, another one, great stories help you learn a yeah. principle, yeah. as well as Tim Ferriss. You know, starting out with a story of just something random that you have no clue what's going on, and then he ties it in. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna steal like I'm gonna steal exactly what Tim Ferriss yeah. did. And so, literally every beginning, I, I rewrote it and I put at the beginning of every chapter, I made it just be it just off the wall, like something that applied to whatever lesson. So what, you, what are your thoughts about, and I love, I love that you say, you know, you still like an artist, so you, you definitely want to keep uh, growing and learning from other people. So what are your thoughts about mm -hmm. that? And, and how should we know what we should go after when our writing style starts to come to fruition? It may be a useful resource. And this is why I say, you know, don't uh, write a book unless you have something specifically new to say about this particular topic. Uh, and, and the new thing that you could say is just, this is the way that I say it. And it's different from what other people have to say. Not that it has to be a brand new idea, uh, but a resource that I would recommend um, that says it better than I probably could is a, a book and podcast called The Story Grid by Sean Coyne. 
the story grid. It's particularly about how to tell compelling stories. So it's about the craft of fiction, but they also talk about um, uh, different kinds of books and the different conventions associated with them. So th I would recommend if you want to tell better stories, check out the, the book, The Story Grid. Now, uh, one of the things Sean talks about in that book is you first have to understand what kind of book it is. So you're describing a how-to book, how to do something. The question literally is, how do I do this? How do I invest in rental properties? All right. And then there's a bunch of smaller questions. How much capital do I need? Where do I invest? Uh, do I get a partner? Yada, 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 yada. All these things. And, and you, in some sequence, progression, or logical order, answer those questions. And it could be steps. It could be you got to think about, you know, first we're talking about money. Then we're talking about marketing. Then we're talking about whatever, um, whatever it might be. And so you have to understand the genre, which is why you have to read books like your book. And then, like you said, you begin to see what are the tools that they use, conventions, right? And those that tool is called anecdotes, short, relatable stories that undergird and support the argument of the author, the big idea of the book, uh, and then help the reader get to a point where they go, oh, I, I get that a little bit more. So we've got the big idea. We've got the structure. You know, which will include the outline, uh, and then and then you under you have to understand what kind of book it is, right? So it's not just a nonfiction book; it's a nonfiction how-to book. It's going to teach you how to do that, or an advice book. It's going to give you advice on how to live your life. Most self-help is really um, understood as advice, and, and uh, or it's a memoir or a narrative nonfiction book. You know, there's a bunch of different genres, and you most people don't realize this. You can go to the bookstore. You know, you can grab a book like a you know, Brene Brown book off the shelf, and you can actually open it up and look on the first page and it'll tell you what kind of book it is, you know, self-help. Uh, there's usually two or three categories, right? Uh, this is uh, one, assertiveness, psychology, two, risk, three, courage. Uh, these are the, the subjects, the titles, or the, yeah, the topics rather of the book. So you've got kind of the broad, this is a self-help book, but then it's a it's really a psychology book uh, about uh, risk and courage, daring greatly. Um, so you do what you did, right? You just study books that you like and you go, what are they doing here? They're telling stories that maybe, you know, Malcolm Gladwell kind of book is offering academic studies to support their big idea. Uh, that's a big idea book. Not as important in what you're doing. You don't have to be like in 2003, the University of Florida conducted a study on real estate. It's like, no, I've been successful, you know, uh, investing in real estate properties. Here's what I understand about it. I may cite a few other people, uh, you know, like uh, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad or whatever uh, as the basis for my argument. But it's really is just, this is, this is something that I've learned how to do. Here's how you do it. Uh, so you study the genre, you understand what kind of book it is, and then you borrow and steal the tools that you see that work well in that genre. Because when you see a bunch of authors employ the same tools, what you're seeing is what Sean Coyne calls a convention, meaning this is how this always works, right? Uh, you don't tell a science fiction story, you know, without including, uh, you know, having some uh, some hero leaving their home planet and going to some new planet or going, you know, to join some adventure. That's a convention. It happens every time. So we have to do that in that kind of story. Otherwise, the reader won't get it. And they might not even know why they don't get it, why the story isn't working. So um, there are rules to every type of book. And yes, you can break a rule or two, but if you break all the rules, it no longer is going to be considered a self-help book or a how-to book or what have you. That makes a lot of sense. So 
once we are going through the process, we're starting, you know what, I'm following what Jeff's, Jeff's telling me. I, I feel like I have a, a good idea, uh, or sorry, it's, it's an idea that is I'm adding to it. I'm helping, I'm saying in a way that really uh, comes out in a positive way. We start writing, we got an outline, we're following everything you're doing. And it really comes down to what am I going to title the book? Because some people say they jump right out, the title jumps right at them. And for like me, it's it's the last thing is usually the title. If I'm naming a business, that's the last thing because I come up with everything else but that. So what are your thoughts about title and how should we worry or should we even worry about it? I mean, every book typically starts with an idea. And so you start with the working title and it almost always changes, right? And so when, and, and most books for me are a bit of an exploration, right? They're a bit of a journey, an adventure. And so I wanted to write a book about this question that you asked me earlier, which is, can you make a living making things? Can you make a living as a creative person, as an artist, right? Most of us have been told you can't do that. You'll starve, right? I, I remember touring, touring the country with a band after graduating college and we had so little money that we would stay in people's homes, which was great. They were, you know, generous and they let us stay in their homes. And um, people would say to me, sometimes we'd stay in trailers, sometimes we'd stay in these really nice mansions. And people would say to me, it's great that you're doing this now because when you get older, you're going to have to get a real job. And I, I agreed with them. I was like, yeah, of course, of course I am. Yeah, I can't do this forever. I'm doing this for like a year and then I'll move on. Um, and, and so that is what we think about, you know, the arts about creativity. And so I kind of stumbled my way into making a living as a full-time writer and creative entrepreneur. And I had lots of friends saying, how did you do that? And I thought, is this possible? Cause I'd met other people like, like you get into something like say, you know, investing in real estate and you're like, can I do this? Can I like, can I have a job? That's not really a job, right? I have friends who like don't have jobs and they live off of, you know, their Airbnb income. And I'm like, but what do you do? And they're like, well, you know, uh, I was like, do you, do you clean the apartment? No, no, I have somebody else do that. And it's like, so you just own properties and make money off of it. You know, it, it's an amazing time to be alive. Um, and so I was trying to answer that question and it was, I thought it was a book about creativity. And so I called it, initially I called it the creative advantage, right? And then I found out that Michelangelo was the richest artist in the Renaissance. And I thought, wow, he's a great artist and he was worth $50 million when he died. Uh, so maybe that's sort of a model, right? Like you don't have to sell out and you don't have to starve because nobody would say Michelangelo sold out. He was incredible, right? He's not like the Nickelback of the Renaissance. No offense to Nickelback <laughs> uh, fans. Maybe a little offense to Nickelback fans. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, he he was one of the best artists of all time and he was the richest artist alive at the time, which is kind of interesting. And I began to find other people who were making a living off of their creative work that weren't Taylor Swift. They weren't Michelangelo, but they were making a good living uh, off of work that they wanted to do. And so as I'm writing this book, I'm calling it the creative advantage. And I begin to kind of find all these different pieces. And a friend of mine read the book and he said, you know, you've got two books here, Jeff. One is a book about creativity, and it's kind of boring, and lots of people have written books about creativity. And then you've got another book about how to not be a starving artist. And that is a book I want to read. That's a book that people need to read, and it's an interesting book. He says, it's almost like you're saying, real artists don't starve. And I was like, that's the title of the book, you know? And I knew it would, you know, it would challenge people, right? Um, because it's it's picking a fight, right? And so I think, to answer your question, you start with whatever you think the book is about. And then as you experienced, Dustin, you you try to write one book and you go, this is like kind of boring, right? This feels like a an e-how Wikipedia article. And I wanted to write a book, you know? I wanted to 
give somebody an entertaining and inspiring and hopefully helpful experience with an idea. Um, and, and so then you, you end up writing a different book. You have to write the book that wants to be written as Madeline Langle says. And out of that experience usually emerges some clarity of an idea, right? You're more clear about the thing that you wanted to say than when you began. And at the end of it, you may go, Hey, the working title of the idea that I wanted to express that works. That's what, that's what I want to call it. Uh, or you may find as lots of people do, um, that it's, it's something a little bit different. Like with the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss originally called that book, uh, drug dealing for fun and profit. That'll catch you. Cause it was about be like, catchy. Yeah. I mean, it was controversial, but it wasn't, it wasn't the essence of the idea. The essence of the idea was most people think they have to work at least 40 hours a week to just kind of get by. And what if you only had to work four? And that was, there's that book is obviously about a lot of things, but that was the essence of it. You can get more with less if you do it right. So let me show you how not creative I am. The name of my book <laughs> is How to Quit Your Job with Rental Properties. So that's how yeah. not creative I am. I was like, you know what? It's going to be straightforward. This is the only name I can come up with. But my second book, or second or third book, I can't remember which one it was, um, I got a little more creative. And that's the uh, impetus for this podcast the uh, and the show that I have, The Successful Unemployed Show. Mm -hmm. I literally wrote a book because I was quitting my job because I had 30 plus properties. And I was like, why am I working? Like, what? this is just right, this right. Is a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. I, even though I'm making seventy thousand dollars a year, I'm waste like I'm literally losing money working here. Sure. Yeah. So right. I wrote a book called, and I just named it "Successfully Unemployed" because I was trying to get grab like something that's catchy yeah. that people will be like, "What? Yeah. Why? What? You're unemployed and you want to be?" I'm like, "Yes." Mm -hmm. So I wrote that book. It was less all the lessons that I learned, like sixteen big lessons, mm -hmm. like insurance and you know, all that sort of stuff, and. I got a little more creative on the second one because my wife helped me. She's very, very creative. But all my other books, they're very—they're not. So if we get the idea, we start writing, we actually find out this is a decent book, or at least I have—I know I, I have something here. And the next step is publishing. Obviously, you know, we have the manuscript. We're ready to go. We maybe get some our friends and people to edit it. And then should we look to publishing it ourselves? Because like, I, I completely agree with you. No time in the history of the world has been so easy to make money, number one, but number two, to get your your content, your 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 whatever you create as an artist to as many people as possible. It's absolutely brilliant. So should we look to self-publish? Should we look to find a publisher? What should we do next? Yeah, I mean, the answer to all these questions is it depends, of course. Uh uh, in general, I'm a fan of uh, independent publishing, indie publishing. You know, we used to call it self-publishing, but it really is you have all the tools or a lot of the tools that a traditional publisher has at your disposal, meaning you uh, can design a book. You have access to the same editors that a lot of publishers are using, um, the same designers. Most of my friends who are designers, they'll work on a self-published book and then they'll get hired by an actual publisher to, to design a book cover. So it's not like you get a different talent pool. Uh, you know, we're living in the gig economy where uh, lots of people are, are freelancing and lots of large publishing companies aren't necessarily wanting to uh, employ an editor or a designer full-time if they don't need to. Um, so I've done both. I've traditionally and self-published. So I'm not uh, biased towards or against one or the other. Most authors that I work with, I unless they have a very large platform or a big idea where I think 
partnering with a publisher will actually help the success of the book. More often than not, I encourage them to self-publish because it used to be that if you um, self-publish, you couldn't get a traditional publisher later. It was a taboo, right? It was it was sort of a stigma. Um, now that's not true. There are plenty of people that will successfully self-publish, myself included, and then leverage the success of that book and then partner with a traditional publisher to get more reach, more distribution. Um, and I think it's only worth working with a traditional publisher if one, they give you a whole bunch of money up front and that's really enticing. Like I can get a $500,000 advance or spend the next 20 years making that much money off of this self-published book. Well, I'd probably take the half a million dollars, you know, invest that into some rental property, start making money off of that. Like there's a Amen. point at which getting a, as much money up front actually makes more sense for some people than ongoing recurring revenue, depending on how you're trying to set things up. So I, uh, the other pausing, pausing that thought, uh, would yeah. you ever, because I've had people, uh, publishers approach me, would you ever mm. have pay out money to a publisher for them to publish no, your book? Never, <laughs> okay, no. good. That's not a real book deal. Yeah, no. that's not a real thing. Uh, no, because at that point, because you know, you've self-published your books, you, you know, it just takes, it doesn't take a ton of money. You, it, you can spend a lot of money self-publishing a book, uh, but it doesn't take a ton of money to get started, especially with a book on like Kindle or something, you know, you can do that for less than a thousand bucks and you can do it for a lot more than that, of course. Um, but a great book on that is Guy Kawasaki's book, Ape, author, publisher, entrepreneur. And he says, you know, for about $3,000, a budget of $3,000, you can successfully self-publish a great book. Uh, and, and I agree with that. That's not the most amount of money that you could spend or the least amount of money that you could spend, but a budget of about $3,000 will get you a really good book. Um, so the reasons to publish with a traditional publisher, they give you a bunch of money up front and you go, yeah, okay, cool. I'll take that money uh, and, and write this book and get all that paid. And then you have to uh, sell the book uh, for me and you're going to help sell it as well. Uh, or they have some great distribution deal where they're going to get that book in front of a lot of people and that's going to generate interest in some other thing that you do. Uh, so for example, my friend James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, book sold a million copies in the past year. It's in Target. Uh, you know, it's not just on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, like it's all over the place. Well, that's generating a lot of interest in his website, in his speaking, in his online course. Like there's a lot of ways that he can leverage the mass, not to mention selling a million copies of a book will generate a fair amount of royalties. Um, so I think those are the two reasons that it makes sense to, to work with a traditional publisher. They're going to pay you a bunch of money up front and or they're going to give you access to an audience that you otherwise wouldn't have access to. And you have to know what that means, right? And I think the, the best way to understand that is um, they're going to distribute you you into a bunch of places beyond Barnes and Noble and Amazon because every self-published author can do that now. Uh, and it means um, international distribution. What publishers do better, um, what, what will be hard for you to do, but not impossible, is for you to translate your book into 30 different languages, working with 30 different international publishers in the next year. And a publisher can do that. Um, so there are some advantages to doing it. I'm not going to say it's uh, it's a completely bad idea, but for most people who are just trying to put an idea out there, they don't have hundreds of thousands or millions of fans or email subscribers, uh, self-publishing a book through a tool like Amazon's KDP, uh, publishing tool is a great way to get started. I, I absolutely agree. I think that's a great, great perspective. Now, 
with obviously royalties, I love the idea of getting paid up front, but because I could use that money for other things. But at the same time, you're looking at maybe in the future I might make more. So that, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother ball of wax. But if we were to now yep. say, let's, I want to scale the business. Like I love writing, and I want to keep writing books, mm. and I want to scale it to where I could literally not work a job and. I can live off of my writing. It sounds like you probably need a lot of books to write or what are your thoughts? Like how do we now scale the business? Yeah, you have to decide what kind of writer you want to be, I think. And I think there are three different kinds of writers. Um, so there's what I call the working writer where the answer is to write more books. I know people who write uh, mostly fiction writers, but some nonfiction writers who write a book a month and they and they publish it on Amazon my goodness. and they start making, they start making a few hundred dollars a month off of that book. You know, you do that over and over and over again, it starts to accumulate. It's like investing, mm -hmm. right? Like everything starts to exponentially increase and you just kind of keep feeding that flywheel. So that's called the working writer. All I want to do is write and I want to make money off of writing. And when I'm not writing, I'm not making money. And when I am writing, I, I am. And eventually you create enough books that you can have, um, you know, a great living that this is kind of the revolution for, um, creative writers these days is they're writing and they're publishing stuff on Amazon and they're making a hundred thousand to a million dollars a month off of self-published novels and novellas. Um, and some of these people are writing multiple books a month. Uh, it's insane. Uh, and that's a whole other, whole other ball of wax. Um, working writer, write, write a bunch of books and you'll make a bunch of money. Yeah. Especially if you can write fast. Um, there is what I call the author Uh, this is the person, uh, like myself, uh, like our mutual friend, Grant Baldwin, we may write a book every few years, but we also have an online course or a coaching program or an event or maybe all of the above. You've got some different products um, that really s end up being about 50 to 80% of the revenue of the business. And the books serve as lead generation, right? So uh, Grant and I wrote a book together called The Successful Speaker. He just texted me. <laughs> I have it right here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he just, exactly. He just texted so that, that book came out last week at the time of this recording. And he just texted me. He goes, somebody read this book in the past week and they just signed up for a $5,000 coaching program. He's like, how, how do we do more of that? Right? Like at that point, I'm ready, to give, <laughs> I'm ready to give the book away. So that's the concept of the authorpreneur. And that's why you see some authors giving away their books for free plus shipping, getting you into the funnel, et cetera. That's a way to do it. Uh, and then the other way to do it is what I call the thought leader. This is who, who we've already talked about. Tim Ferriss, Malcolm Gladwell, James Clear, uh, Brene Brown. These are people who are uh, selling lots of books and they're getting big book deals. And they're often going out and speaking or consulting. Simon Sinek would be another example of that. They have big ideas that impact the culture. And, and then they usually have something else to sell and it's often their time. They're, they're doing high-end coaching, consulting, and that's the thought leader. So figure out what kind of writer you want to be, working writer. I just want to write a bunch of books and you can scale the business by writing more books or even starting a team. I know writers who get together and they create a studio of uh, writers and they become kind of a little book factory. Um, the authorpreneur, use your books to generate leads and interest in information products and other services that you might offer. Uh, or the thought leader, I want to write big idea books that I publish every four to five years usually. And then I want to speak and consult and uh, find a way to talk about those ideas in a way that changes people's lives and culture. That's great. I, I chose to be the the entrepreneur. And so with my rental yeah. properties, I was literally sitting around, like I, I was done working. Yeah. And I'm like, I can only <laughs> go fishing so much or play video games or I got to do something. And so I had so many people asking me, friends and family, how to invest. And so I wrote that book and then yeah. I realized 
there's something like online, like a blog. I could actually teach a lot of people at one time, or I could even have a podcast where I could just get that message out as fast and wide as possible. And so went down that route. So what's, what's fantastic is you just start helping more and more people. And so, especially if you're in the self-help type of um, industry, you start to realize, man, all the influence that you're building, you're helping people get out of where they are to be where they want to be. And so it's, it's terrific. So now is there anything we could have missed or any other step that you would think that we make, we need to make sure that we do as we're becoming a writer and starting to write books? No, you know, I I think this is the, the kind of thing that it's something that you can't not do. Right. And so I would never say everybody needs to be a writer. Everybody needs to write a book. But if you feel like you have an idea that's been burning in you for a long time or you, or you know something that's obvious to you that's amazing to others, in the words of Derek Sivers, then that's a good clue that you should you know, pursue that. But if it's not this, you know, there's something like that. There's something that you can't not do. And what I love about this show, Dustin, is you're giving people permission to do the thing that they can't not do, that they almost kind of believe like, I couldn't do that. I can't make a living doing that. And as we both know, there's there's never been a better time. It's never been easier to do this. This was not something that our grandparents could have done, you know? And so it's it's an incredible time of privilege and opportunity. And I would say responsibility, right? If you have a burning desire to teach people how to play the guitar better or invest in real estate property or tell stories or jokes or whatever, um, you have a responsibility to find a way to make a living doing that um, because the world needs more of, of that, whatever gift you have to offer. Um, and, and so I just think it's it's really fun. And I meet so many people who think, well, I just got to get a job, right? You know, I've got to go do, and, and that may be great if that's what you want to do. But if there's something that you can't not do, um, you know, I think it's, it's really important to find a way to do it because now is the time. And this, maybe this won't last forever. Maybe our kids won't have the same opportunities that we had. It looks like they might, but you just never know. And so I think we have to take the opportunities that we have seriously. That's a great point. I absolutely agree with that. So as we're wrapping up, the one last question I wanted to, so I have the book. So everybody watching this on YouTube. So I have, so this is The Successful Speaker by Grant Baldwin and Jeff Goins. Like his name's right there as well. And so I already had uh, Jeff on the show. So if you go back, I think he's like number 15 or 16 episode, but um so you have you on here as well. Talk to us, I mean, briefly, how did that, not not necessarily because I know you guys know each other, but like, did you do some writing? Did you do a lot of the writing? How did that work out? And then how does it, if somebody says, you know what, I have access to somebody that's a really, a good sized name that we can write a book together. How would we go mm. about doing that? Grant's a good friend. Um, we've known each other for many years. Um, and a publisher called me one day a few years ago and said, do you know anybody who should write a book with us? And I said, yeah, my friend Grant, you know, he's got, he's got everything else. You know, he's got a podcast. He's got a couple of online courses, coaching program, website, all about teaching people how to become successful speakers. Um, but he needs a book, I think. I think it would really help his business. And he has a lot to say on the subject that I find really helpful and accessible. So uh, I asked Grant, you know, would you be interested in working with this publisher? And he said, no, not really. Uh, not unless you write the book. And I'd never done this before. I'd written five <laughs> books myself. But he was, he was joking. It was like, I'll do it if you write the book, you know, cause I was doing my own thing, write my own books. I didn't need to write somebody else's book. Um, but I, it was so interesting that I kind of got excited about it. And as a rule, I try to say yes to things that scare me a little, you know, when I say, oh, I don't I do that. that. I go, well, why not? You know, can I do this? Will it be terrible? Maybe let's try it. Let's do it once and see. And that's, I mean, everything that I've done really began as me saying yes to something that I typically 
didn't do or, or had never done before, right? And that's the only way you grow is by saying yes to new things. Um, so we did it. You know, we went to the publisher and said, "I'm going to write the book. I'm going to take all of Grant's ideas. I'm going to interview him, study all of his material, interview his top clients. We'll use those as stories and anecdotes throughout the book." Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a collaborative effort in that I would Grant and I would talk. He would kind of give me the ideas and the stories. I'd write them down. I'd share them with him, and he, and he would give me feedback. You say, yeah, this works or it doesn't work. Um, and you know, two years later we have a book. It was a long and, and great process. Um, I believe this is the book. There's lots of books out there on how to speak. There are very few books about how to be a speaker, much less a successful speaker, understanding all of the different business elements. And so this is the book. It's the authoritative book on how to uh, build a part-time or full-time business off of a, a public speaking message. And it was a really fun thing to, to work on together. That's fantastic. I literally just got it in the mail from Grant um, like two days ago. So I can't wait to dive into it. And just like you said, with, um, you know, teaching somebody how to, how to actually do the speaking, same thing with like, with rental properties. When I wrote that book, when I was writing, as I was going through the book, I said, I thought, you know, I want to give, I want to help people to realize that it's like, just like a speaker, if you just go and speak one time, you don't necessarily have a business. I love buying rental properties off of people who said, I'm going to buy a house and try to put a tenant in there and make some money because Uh, they don't build the business. They don't know Uh, how to do it right. And after 10 mm. years, they're fed up. They're tired of the 2 a.m. phone calls and losing money. I buy those properties off them for really cheap and I make money. So that's one thing that I try to help everybody. Start the business first before you do anything. So, Matt, so Jeff, you give us so much great information. I want to jump into the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Yes. Bring it on. Awesome. So- the first thing is, as we have a little bit more time being successful and unemployed, hopefully we're able to give and help and serve other things. How are you making either the world a better place or your family, or how are you serving to make things better for other people? Yeah, so um, I believe my business, I hope this doesn't sound like a, a self-justification throwaway answer, but I, I believe business in itself is inherently helpful to society, right? I'm employing people, I'm creating experiences and content that make people's lives better, and they're paying me for it, and that's wonderful. Uh, so the number one way that I'm helping the world is by being successfully unemployed, by having a business that um, really exists to serve other people, to help creative people succeed. Uh, in addition to that, you know, we've partnered with numerous nonprofit organizations over the years. We've done lots of uh, building projects in Africa. We're working on a school right now. Um, and uh, I you know, sometimes volunteer at my kid's school and <laughs> help out at school dances. Uh, but I really do, I think that in America, especially, we have this guilt about success, which is like, I've got to give back. And I think it's interesting, right? Like, um, what, and, and this is, this is, I mean, I used to work in the nonprofit field, right? Um, so what is, has been more beneficial to humanity, right? Amazon or Jeff Bezos's philanthropic contributions. And they're both great, right? But they're both great, is my point. They're both contributions. Well, and he wouldn't have the philanthropic um, exactly, contributions yeah. if he didn't have the business that employs like thousands or maybe even millions, like lots and lots oh, of sure. people. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and giving back is is the wrong way to think about it, right? It's not giving back because you didn't take in the first place, right? You created value that added value to other people's lives because that's what a business is. It's a solution to a problem that people are willing to pay for. Um, and you kept giving in different ways. And that's what I try to do. I keep keep it flowing, employ people, uh, make, you know, um, 
make charitable donations to organizations that I believe in and stay in business, which is an important contribution that I make to the world. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I completely agree that the, the most successful companies, actually the best companies are ones that serve. They looked to serve and mm. how to make things better for other people and solve a problem, solve that need. Right. That is that is the best way to do it. So serving others. Okay. So if you were to give one piece of advice other than like get started, um, mm. what would you give to somebody who's saying, you know what, I'd like to be like Jeff. I want to start doing this. What is one piece of advice other than like, you know, just get started writing? What would it be? My, uh, my former boss would often say to people, you know, before you pursue your own dream, serve somebody else's dream first. And I, I would say to act like an apprentice, right? So if you're interested in being a real estate investor, uh, go work for Dustin, you know, uh, offer to, you know, volunteer or, uh, you know, and, and do admin for him, uh, or, uh, you know, ask him to hire you as, as the manager of these different units. Cause, um, being close saying, I would like to have a rental property is very different from seeing somebody who's been doing it for years and years and years and, and has 20 different properties and all these different things. You can see up close and personal what this is really like. And so before you go be a writer helps help edit somebody's book right? Uh, before you go become a full-time musician, be a roadie, right? Like see what the job of this thing is like, because there's the job and there's the art. The art of writing is writing a book. The job of writing a book is checking email and doing interviews and remembering to shower and getting on a plane and going and speaking somewhere. Like there's a whole bunch of other things that are associated with the job. And sometimes you love the art, but you don't love the job. And so the best thing that you can do is figure out what is the job require and can I just go see somebody else do it, work for them for a little bit and see if I would actually like that. I think you and I think a lot alike. So I would literally pay $10,000 a year to Warren Buffett to work for him. I would pay him. Yes, of course. Oh my, yeah, my right. the the knowledge, the the uh, connections, the experience, yeah. all that sort of stuff would be that. Even though it'd be pennies to him, I would be willing to pay because of all sure. the outside of benefits that I would get outside of money. Man, okay. So if you were to give one piece of advice to your younger self, it could be business, could be life. You know, you're looking back here after my plenty of experience. What would you tell your younger self to help prepare you for the future? I would say trust your intuition, but test it. I think one of the hardest parts of growing up for me was having all these kind of young, immature ideals that I thought were ridiculous, uh, that were actually true. I just didn't know how to apply them, right? I want to travel the world. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, and so there was a season where I just said no to myself, where life kind of said no to me and I got a job and kind of put my head down. And for seven years, I did what was expected of me, but there were these yearnings, there were these desires to do more. And I didn't know if I could trust that. And so when I turned 30, I quit my job and started this business. And for some people, you know, that's very young. And some, for some people, it sounds like you waited a long time for me. It was somewhere in between. And I'm glad I didn't wait any longer than I did. But ever since then, I've had to learn how to trust myself um, and realize that the things that I want are are usually good. They're good for me and they're good for others. Um, but just because you trust yourself doesn't mean you you don't test the intuition, right? You don't try and experiment, do something small, kind of dip your toe in it to see if it's a crazy idea or not. So I wish I would have understood that earlier on that you can trust your intuition, but you have to test it. I love that. That's great. Good stuff. So almost done. What is one app 
tool. It could be a padded paper uh, and a pen. What is something that you use in your everyday life that we should look into using? Uh, you know, I'm a writer, so note taking is a is a big deal to me. From groceries to next blog post to next book idea, um, Bear B E A R. It's an iOS app. Uh, syncs with my iPhone, you know, tablet uh, and computer, and it's just my note taking app. It's a beautiful note taking app. Bear B E A R. Very cool. All right. So last question, and you've given us loads of books that we all need to be checking out. What is one specific book, nonfiction book that we should read outside of the ones you already gave it, unless that's like, you have to read this one. Mm-hmm. One nonfiction book you have to read. Um, <laughs> I love books. There's so many. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now thinking about it. Um, the War of Art is a great book by Stephen Pressfield. You have to read that book, The War of Art. The War of Art. Awesome. We're definitely, I'll put those in the show notes for everybody. So it has been such a eye opener for me. I'm really, really glad that you came on, Jeff. And so everybody listening, they're going to want to get a hold of you or they want to see how to learn to be like you. How can they Mm. find you and how can they reach out to you? You can go to my website, goinsreader.com. I have a podcast and blog there, G-O-I-N-S writer.com, goins, uh, like coins, but with a G or groins without the R. Uh, you're not going to forget that now. I've been thinking about that ever since the kids were teasing me in middle school. Goinswriter.com, or you can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active and responsive. I respond to all my DMs there, at Jeff Goins. Awesome. Man, Jeff, you've given us so much great information, so much great things to think about, and you were actually really like real philosophical as well. Like you give us a lot of <laughs> things to really, really consider. Mm-hmm. So Jeff, thank you so much for being on the Success Fill Unemployed Show. I really appreciate it. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders Membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses group coaching with me and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. That's R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777 so you can see how you can quit your job that J-O-B by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Now, did you also know that there are video versions of each and every single episode on the Successfully Unemployed show? Well, I did record every single one of these for you. I recorded them for you so you will be able to learn from the experts themselves, see what they're doing, see everything that they are talking about on this show visually and all their examples, all their slides, all their pictures that they even draw. Everything is on there. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. Or if you just go to YouTube and type in successful unemployed, more than likely you're going to find me. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. And I would truly appreciate it if you subscribe to Successfully Unemployed on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this show so that you can always get every bit of new information on how to quit your J-O-B. Also, if you got anything out of the show, share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light 
that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.